Welcome to Trendwatch, Innovate by Day's social media podcast, where we talk about the latest in digital communication and events. Hi, and welcome to another uh, IBD Trendwatch podcast. Uh, my name is James. I'm your host. I'm here in the back room with uh, our amazing, uh, my amazing colleagues, Sarah Davis and Chloe Peralgut. Say hi, ladies. Hi. Hi. So we haven't done a podcast in a while because we've had a ridiculously busy uh, spring season here at Innovate by Day, which uh, which is a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because we're working on a lot of amazing projects and a curse because we don't get to come in and sit down and chat for half an hour about things that we care about. We had a, an article that was brought to our attention last week by one of our colleagues. Here it is. Sorry, this is exactly what I'm looking for. So this was an article on the AV Club last week. And the title of it sort of grabbed our attention right away uh, and sort of cut to our our sweet little social media community manager, TV people, souls. <laughs> when fan engagement goes wrong, the 100 shameless and the unsustainable dynamics of social TV. So I just wonder if, if you'll give me a minute, I'm just going to read the first paragraph that made my head explode. There are lots of reasons why the people who make television are interacting with their show's fans more than ever. Networks and channels are encouraging showrunners and writers to live-tweet their shows, believing that it creates, air quotes, engagement end quote, that increases live viewing and makes it more likely that fans invest in the series in other ways. And he goes on, however, recent events regarding these points of engagement have highlighted new dynamics between the industry and its fans, particularly as it relates to fan bases comprised of marginalized groups. For fans of shows like The CW's The 100 or Showtime's Shameless who gravitate toward the shows based on their complex same-sex relationships, this form of engagement is part of the appeal going on beyond simply promoting the show's social media engagement has also helped make fan bases that have been historically marginalized visible to those behind the scenes creating direct lines of communication that stand alongside expanded representations on screen so first off is it just me or does the does the author of the article sound a little bit like they don't believe in in social as a as a tool for engagement what this article taught me about myself was that I can't be like anything political. Like I can't go into like any political activism role at all because this upset me so much. I actually had to like walk away from my desk. I was like, you know what? You don't speak for me. You don't speak for me from the fan perspective and you don't speak for me from the like, this is my job perspective. And I walked away for like five full minutes. So I think they don't get what's going on. Well, I think that's a really good point that you just said they don't speak for you from a community manager perspective, but also from a fan perspective, because that's what I found too. I found a lot of the points that they made in the article didn't resonate with me as someone who does this professionally or as a consumer of content. I didn't understand where a lot of the points were coming from. But I think what it, it what it said to me was it's this really interesting gap that I thought as I started to see more people come on board and have, like, every show has a Twitter account now, I would say, is, like, a pretty good standard. When they don't, that's, like, a big red flag even for us. I think what it was was I was like, this person seems to be so outdated. Like, er like, hello? This is, what do you mean it's only these two communities? Like, every community has this. That's part of the beautiful discourse, and discourse is shocker engagement. And it's and I mean they're they're speaking directly to sort of to what he's calling a marginalized community, which is the LGBT 
the, the queer community. Specifically, uh, he's referencing the death of a beloved lesbian character on The 100, um, which, as we're all aware, the Twitter sphere has been uh, going nuts about for the last month or so. And I, and I, thought, it was, I thought it was very interesting that this, this point that he sort of brings up, that showrunners and, uh, and social media managers like ourselves are, are courting the audience and sort of... He feel, the author seems to feel like like uh, the shows are doing a pulling a bait and switch on the LGBT community that they make them fall for these uh, for these lesbian characters and then kill them, <laughs> uh, but sort of lead them on in the online world in in the Twitter the Twitter world by by you know not you know letting on that a beloved character is going to die this this killed me sorry here's another quote barring outright announcing that lexa would be dying sorry spoilers if you're a 100 watcher and don't know that lexa's dead um and spoiling his own show which is uh, what rothenberg and the writers looks to avoid by throwing fans off the scent of lexa's death any engagement by rothenberg could potentially mislead fans meaning that nothing short of not tweeting could have entirely avoided the situation at hand and i i don't think that's that's not true at all okay one welcome friends spoilers have existed before can i reference my old star wars one from a podcast two ago where um (laughs) i had two people tell me completely who'd not like known each other prior to this that they stood outside the theater at star wars and someone screamed who had died as they came out of the theater wow what an ending Who'd have thought Darth Vader was Luke Skywalker's father? Ah, oh, thank, thank you! Oh, thank you, Mr. Blow the picture for me. Oh, that's just me. Like, this was in, like, the 70s. Um, I'd, I'd like to... I'd or like 80s? To, it, it's, it's, so it's now, it's... Uh, we're into April now. Yeah. Have you actually seen the movie I yet? did. I saw it last week. <laughs> I saw it Thursday after this article came out, and I spent the entire time rewriting it as a coffee shop AU because fandom will exist where it wants to exist. Spoiler alert. That being said, so back to this like Twitter thing. Also, Dumbledore is dead, which by the way, if you still think it's a spoiler, you have your own issues, was screamed outside car windows everywhere. There was no need for Twitter. Well, I just think too, it's not just about like, ooh, spoilers. The idea that either for an LGBT death to be considered not a trope or taking advantage of that group or that stereotype, you either have to spoil it or not indulge it in like at all is completely absurd. It doesn't make any sense, especially for a show like the 100 where people die all the time. Killing off the LGBT character is not just playing into the trope. A lot of characters die. And if they hadn't, uh, engaged around the fan base for that pairing online, then that would have been seen as problematic. Killing off the character is seen as problematic. Overindulging the fans who love that pairing is seen as problematic. It's just a lose, 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 lose situation right now. Well, you're not gonna, you're never gonna get universal acceptance. Like, that's not ever gonna happen. And I think where the lesbian death trope is coming from, which is like now a much larger issue. Like, yes, the Lexa from the 100 thing is definitely that, but there was the article that Tatiana Maslany was interviewed in for the Toronto Star that came out um, Monday of April 11th, 10th, 11th. Yeah, so that was that. So that one came out and she said, I think it's actually kind of offensive for this lesbian death trope thing around the death of, spoiler alert, 
um, Delphine. The perceived death of the Delphine. Perceived, because yes. it, it's technically not even real yet. Yes, as we're recording this, uh, we're still two days, two days out. Two days out from the uh, from two days the premiere of, of, hours. of season four. But yeah, so. so the perceived death of Delphine, which has been a perceived death now since the end of season three, which was last year. And she said, you know, that's taking this beautiful, wonderful character who, if she's dead, sacrificed herself for the greater good and saying it's about her sexuality and it's about the fact that she can't be in bed anymore with this other character, which you're then saying can only have one true love and that's it. And so you're really actually doing a disservice. Now, there's going to be the people who shoot back and say, look, you have a problematic view of that. But, you know. I actually think she was quite eloquent in that article, and we encourage you all to take a read of it, because it's a great, great look at this whole issue. But I think, too, the idea, like you said, that, you know, having a character killed off, meaning that there can only be one true love, and reducing that character to, oh, you killed off another lesbian, instead of, look at this wonderful three-dimensional character who had this great story arc dying. Like, if you can't kill off your LGBT characters in the same way you kill off your straight characters, then that's doing a disservice to their representation as well. Well, and the, and we can't have people go on forever. As, yeah. as I think Tatiana said it, actually. You, you, can't, you can't just have them tumble in the sheets and be there happily ever after because that's not drama. And so, so bad things do happen to the pairings that we like or love. Um, I, you know, we can go back to Buffy the Vampire Slayer when uh, Tara got shot. We all freaked out, and not just because, and it was not just because she was of the lesbian pairing or that she was the adorable lesbian. It was because we loved the character and we loved the actor uh, as a as a unit, as a whole person. Um, And it's not what you said before about about reducing it to oh, they killed the lesbian is it does a huge disservice. I think you're right. Now I will say with the engagement level and the getting everyone on board what I appreciated as a fan, which is why I actually, like, went to actively seek how to do this for a living, and, I don't know, I think Sarah feels somewhat the same way, is I went on and I wanted the deeper explanation. I didn't really care that it was, like, X number of deaths of lesbians or X number of deaths of female characters or X number of deaths of the dog. I wanted to go in and say, you know what made you make this choice and instead of shouting into the void where you feel like you have no answer then at least you're it's like a nice someone's there to catch you at the end and say hey look I'm listening to you even if I don't agree with you someone at the other end is saying like I am having a conversation instead of you know what you can just scream into the void and I really don't care because I shot this or filmed this or wrote this a year, two years, three years ago, and I just don't care about you. I wanted to bring up since since we're talking about that that sort of time lag thing. Deb, our boss, brought up this uh, in- interesting uh, piece that she had heard on uh, CBC Radio's Q last week. Um, they were talking about Empire and asking if Empire had jumped the shark in season two. Um, and uh, Rachel Guise, I hope I'm not mispronouncing her name, from Chatelaine, said on, and it was last Wednesday's episode of Q on CBC Radio. The show is 
incredibly gifable and it's incredibly tweetable. And so it's kind of built for the digital age of people kind of responding in real time to one another and building a community around it, which I think amped the camp value and amped the kind of, you know, bonkers storylines. And I think the show also kind of responds in, in real time too to fans' reactions. So there are plot threads that were abandoned. And <laughs> and so I think part of it is the show just put, like packed in more and more and more and more and and kind of lost the plot a little bit. But I do, it's an interesting thing because it does, even though it's this massive show, it feels like it's almost being tweaked week to week um, because there is such a rabid, passionate fan base for the show that they're talking back to the show and the show's talking back. I mean, more so than, than a lot of television, it does have a feeling that it is in conversation with its audience. Which is funny because I know for sure they finished filming season two because they didn't spoil it. They were like discussing something that they could only have known if they had filmed it or like at least had like a script. And they're, they just started their mid-season last week because I watch Empire so I think a lot like I think a lot of this comes down to and I've said it way before I worked at Innovate by Day um I basically like became the person in the Glee fandom who kept screaming you realize this was filmed x number of months ago like you literally have the receipts in the form of set photos so no one's changing anything (laughs) and you made no impact this week yeah and I felt kind of terrible about it but that was yeah, and, I, and, it, it. and it's true. I mean, sometimes this stuff is screaming into the void. As a fan, you're uh, you're upset by something that happened on this week's episode, and you hope that it doesn't, you know, continue into next week's episode, and that and that everything is corrected and taken care of, and that and that shouting at the showrunners on Twitter might make a difference. I don't know if if any of the fans really feel that that shouting at the showrunners this week is going to make a difference to next week oh. or even to the end of this season. Do they? Do you feel like they? There's do? definitely sections of fan bases that feel that way, and as a fan, I find the people who indulge in that practice incredibly frustrating because those are the kinds of people that sort of ruin fan communities in my opinion because they're the people who you know they are aggressive towards cast and crew if things don't go their way and they can turn the community into a really hostile place if they feel like they are being personally victimized by the show like Regina George. I mean, like, I, like, and I will say, like, I both know from working it and from being in fandoms, there are people who really honestly, truly believe it's shot week to week. And, like, so they'll, you know, they'll air, and I remember thinking that as a younger person. Like, I'm not going to say I was totally, like, of, like, I never thought that. And I studied film and television, like, relatively young, all things considered. But there are people who, like, seriously believe that, you know, maybe it's two weeks out. Right, so it takes, you know, like a week to film. And what the basis is, because, again, I studied video and television arts, I know where it comes from, is they look at the formats like Big Bang Theory, which is actually, like, pretty close. Or the other ones that are shot more live in front of a studio audience, those actually are, I think, four weeks. But that's still, if you watch something on Big Bang Theory, and you were to say, like, I don't think Sheldon should have slept with Amy. That was a six-month spoiler. I don't even. <laughs> um... That, like, you know, next week they can be like, it's okay, we retconned it, we're really sorry, guys. Also, if we, like, retconned every, like, if people retconned everything, you wouldn't be happy either. I lived through a retcon season, okay? That was the last season of Glee was all retconned, and I basically was like, this looks great, this looks great, please take it back, everything should go away. I don't like this, I don't like this at all. 
Well, I think, too, the people who typically believe that things are shot like that and aggressively, you know, try to push their agenda on that are also the people who don't want to listen to how things actually work. This is how they believe it happens and everyone else is screwing things up and it's terrible. And I think that's... There's, I mean, there's always going to be people like that in any community, but I think the thing with online communities is because everyone can have such a big platform, mm -hmm. it makes it frustrating both as a fan member and as a community manager to work with fans like that. Now, that being said, I am a huge fan of fix-it fic and fix-it stuff, which is the whole idea that like if you don't like something, no one is going to stop you from writing your own ending and I think that's the beauty of the creativity like I've been in several fandoms that if fix it is like our mainstay fix it is the bread the butter the the main course at some points and you know the ability to say look I think they made a wrong turn this is how I would have written it definitely helped me become a better writer and I think it's helped many people but it's a lot I find there's less like creation of fan work these days which is a different I think that's sort of where it's kind of depends like people are like oh if I can just talk to the showrunner and fix it there I don't have to do the fan work aspect is what I'm finding on some of these newer shows with less like robust fandoms is there sort of a, a democratization of fandom that's going on now with with things being more front and center uh with with uh showrunners communicating on twitter and and uh and fans congregating in a more i guess in a more public sort of space in a more mainstream kind of forum would that would that affect uh, how how much people participate or the way that people participate i think i think twitter definitely 100 percent lends itself more to the fan art and same with instagram obviously but i think i'm sure there's still i mean i know there's 100 there's 100 um fan fiction like you'd have to be crazy to think otherwise but that being said I think that people are much better now that they're like oh no the showrunner can see this like the number of times I've heard people be like oh god so and so is online hide everything and it's like wh why they every person I've met wants to see it but I think there's also people who are not just like oh sharing fandom and this is you know my interpretation or my exciting thoughts about the show there's a lot of people who go this is how it should go showrunner this is what you need to do and i'm gonna call out the supernatural fandom for being particularly oh awful God, yes. at this to the point where people have approached like jared and jensen and made them read their slash fan fiction and like the thing about fan communities is i mean with that kind of thing yes you should be a little bit indulgent because I mean, stories mean something different to every person, and that's the beauty of it. Mm -hmm. But you also have to recognize that it means something different to every person. Your interpretation is not the only interpretation. But at the end of the day, you're also not the writer. You're not the showrunner. And if you don't like the canon, stop watching the show. Um, I think overall, to bring this back to what we do at Innovate by Day as community managers and transmedia storytellers and whatnot... Um, I think the original article touches, we've been speaking a lot about how the original article touches on the fan experience, but I don't think we've spoken as much about our perspective as community managers managing these kinds of fan communities. And I think we've been very lucky in that, you know, we don't have a lot of 
fans that make us go, whoa! What are you our communities, doing? Yeah, our communities in general are lovely, which is such a privilege. But I have seen other communities online that make me take a step back. And from a community manager's perspective, I think it can be an incredibly difficult thing to manage a community where there's a section that can be so aggressive about their wants and desires and needs for the show. And I mean, the I think in my opinion, really the best thing you've got to do is, I mean, you can't just not engage with them because you need yeah. to engage with all of your fans, but you have to allow them to be self-indulgent without speaking as though their ideas are always in line with the show. So I think that's one of the biggest struggles as a community manager is celebrating fan works and fan fiction and fan art without touting it as, yes, this is what the official show channels would like to see as canon. With getting showrunners and getting getting your property uh, into the social spaces and making sure that you're represented in the social spaces, because those conversations are always going to happen. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the, the fans are going to be having those conversations no matter whether you're there or not. Um, and what we hope will happen is that we're in there as representatives of the show, the showrunners and the and members of the writing team and the production team are are out there as well and contributing to the conversation and you can you can kind of try to try to manage it a little bit that you want to you want to have yourself represented out there i i i feel like the author of the uh the av club article um and we'll we'll post a link on on our web page to it um i feel like the author of the AV, av club article is is saying that the showrunners and and the shows should just stay out of it and not try to engage that it's crazy and i don't i don't agree with that at all I'm I'm just saying I bet if I did some snooping and could find some usernames this would be a bitter person from like an ex fandom probably not the 100 no because it's true like um oh god what's it called there was the oh auto straddle auto straddle which is like a lesbian focused um thing which I'm sure has 17 articles we didn't read on this um they like they hated the end of glee and they hated everything they did to the lesbians on there and like Ryan Murphy called them out verbally on the show and also on Twitter and like it, I was like watching like why would you just pour so much gas on that but you know you take a step back and you realize that someone's reacted in a very like incendiary way and not throw gas in that you know in that volatile situation I'm gonna make a really terrible analogy um so fan communities and community managers especially following something super dramatic on a TV show is sort of like a protest. Oh, 100%. Police. Community managers are the police officers at a protest. At a protest, there will be people who just want to peacefully make their point and, you know, be there for the story, so to speak. Yeah. There's going to be people who are a lot more riled up and a lot more passionate, but generally willing to, you know, work in line. And then there's going to be people who are there who are there to just cause chaos 
And that's exactly what a fan right. community is well, like. Well, and there's people there who to cause chaos to, you know, raise a point that doesn't actually need to be brought up in the thing, mm-hmm. right? So if you look at the Lexa thing, they wrote themselves out of a corner because she got on another show they didn't think was going to get picked up. That's the end of that story. There's the other thing that we didn't that we didn't really talk about was that there are there are realities that it, that affect the writers' room that that. Y- the audience members are not privy to um and that that can include contract negotiations you know and the and the way that people behave with each other on set and these are things that these are things that don't need to get out there in the community i mean we all love we all love the gossip but we're not going to put it out there it's not it's certainly not going to come from production production is never going to tell you that they had a problem with someone and and had to fire them and they're and they're not going to tell you that you know contract negotiations broke down over money you know none of none of this gossipy stuff is just going to happen what they're going to do is they're going to write a new story that explains the person's departure and and it may not be what they planned when they when they mapped out their eight season arc but you have to be you have to be responsive to the realities of creating Un, yeah unlike fan fiction there's not an infinite number of possibilities and i think that's the strongest thing to bring back to people is unlike Absolutely. unlike the written you know expanded world of stories there's no contract negotiations in a book there's contract negotiations or other things that you just can't control. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're if you're, <laughs> let's go go back to Grey's Anatomy. If your star, you know, wants to do movies and race cars, and his contract is up, he's going to do movies and race cars. If your star dies of an overdose, you have uh. to rewrite two. Like that's that's what happened, and it did really like they've said they've gone out now and said two years after or a year after the show ended. Look, that was not the intended plan. The things that ended up on screen. We're not what we wrote. We're not what we had planned out or pitched to a network, and we had to go back, and we had to rewrite our whole story. Well, I think, too, it's important to note that it's not even just actor negotiations. Oh, no. Sometimes it's based on network notes. It's based on producer notes. It's There's a whole bunch of people that really have to come together to make the story what it is. It's not just a writer going down, writing the thing, and saying, here you go, this is what you're acting this week. Yeah, I mean, like... Gilmore Girls is a great example too, right? There was so much, I mean, even this new revival that, you know, is just, you know, all down to, you know, the right time, the right place and humans at work at the end of the day. I, lo- I love that the, uh, that, you know, there's a case where, where the social outcry actually might have made the tiniest bit of difference. Uh, see, that's well, there was the social outcry at the right time when social they were still outcry casting. Social outcry at the right time when they were still casting, and I think a lot of movie magic and behind-the-scenes finagling. But again, that's, you know, if you're smart and you look at it, you get less upset about this sort of thing. I think it's the real end-of-the-day scenario. And, like, I completely understand how important, like, movies and TV shows and those stories can be to people, but I think it is always important to take a step back sometimes and realize that it is, you know, it's a piece of art, it's a story, and at the end of the day, as much as it may mean to you, like, it's a piece of fiction. You can move on if you have to. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we can leave it there. Um, <laughs> I, I I have to say, as I always do, that I love uh, having a chance to uh, to sit down in a quiet room with these ladies and talk about TV and fandom and the uh, the uh, incredible online 
interactions that we get to experience both as community managers and as fans. And when we finish recording, I'll tell you about my live tweeting experience from last night. Not you folks. Uh, Take care of yourselves and we'll see you as soon as we get a chance to record another podcast. This has been Trend Watch number 10. Give it up for number 10. We did it. Double digits. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to Trendwatch, Innovate by Day's social media podcast. Visit us online at InnovateByDay.ca, on Twitter at InnovateByDay, and like us on Facebook.